Well, good evening, folks. Um, in case you're wondering why I'm enthroned up here, I feel like I'm uh, like Lord Muck in his throne. Basically, the, the problem is I have a, a problem with my foot that means I'm off my feet. I've been for the last four weeks or something like that, so um, I'm not really allowed to walk on it, and Janet makes sure that I don't, um, as you can imagine. Um, so that's really the, um, the reason that I'm sitting down here um, rather than standing up, so I hope you'll forgive me for that. Um, Okay, we're going to be thinking tonight, as you can see there, about the crucifixion. And this is one of these central stories to Christianity, but we tend with lots of things that we're familiar with, because a lot of us have read this before, to make assumptions about well-known stories. And we tend to make assumptions about things that are obvious, so much so that we sometimes ignore them, or maybe forget about them, or make assumptions about them. So for example, I'm not in McDonald's very often, but maybe some of you are, and they've got this really obvious thing that they put on a cup of coffee, warning, this may be hot. Now every time I read that, I think, well, I hope so, because it's meant to be. And that's fine, and we take it for granted, and almost ignore it until something goes wrong. Like we spill the coffee right down our front and it burns us. Another example is our old cooker. Uh, we had to change it because it broke basically, but it was a, one of these halogen ones and that Janet had been used previously to gas ones and kept forgetting um, that the halogen retained heat unlike um, gas. So she put um, a dish towel down on it several times and once it actually caught fire, which was a wee bit unfortunate. And I checked that I was allowed to tell that story so I won't get beaten up when I go home. The same with sunscreen and the sun. We take it for granted. We make assumptions about the sun. We know it's hot, but hopefully you don't end up like this guy. I hope that's Photoshop because otherwise he's in trouble, this guy. Um, looking like that, but <clears throat> we make assumptions about the sun, and we know that we should wear sunscreen, but we forget to do it, and hopefully not as badly as that, down one side, but it, it can come back to cause us problems if we ignore things. So tonight we're going to be looking at the crucifixion, and we're really going to let the text pretty much speak for itself, because it's one of these things where you can try and add lots and lots of words to it, but ultimately, I think it's important that we listen to what the Bible says. As I say, it's a familiar story to many of us, and therefore we can become quite detached and quite blasé about it, and start to think, well, there's no big surprise here, I know how the story ends. Or, we can be quite judgmental of the different people's involvement or reactions in the story. And we can find ourselves saying, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. That's terrible. Imagine doing that. Imagine saying that. But you can see there on the screen the picture uh, by Salvador Dali uh, called St. John of the Cross. And I put that up deliberately at the start because it catches my attention, maybe catches yours as well, because he comes at the crucifixion from a bit of an unusual angle, looking from above down 
towards Jesus' head. But notice something about Jesus. He's looking down at the world. And that's the key point. The crucifixion isn't just a story. It isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's about you and it's about me. Its real purpose and its real significance <clears throat> is so that you and I could get back into a right relationship with God. So tonight we're going to look closely at the reactions and the assumptions of the different characters who were there. And as we go through it, I want you to think, and me to think, as I've been preparing this, I've been doing the same. Which reaction or which assumptions are like yours? Who are you in this unfolding drama? Let's take a look at the story then. But before we do that, let's just pray again that God would speak to us through his word. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we look at your word now, as we look at the the crucifixion, as Matthew tells us it, Lord, I just pray, or as Luke looks at it rather, I pray that you would help us to really look beneath the surface, to really put ourselves into this situation and work out who we're most like in that crowd watching. And Lord, help us to be willing where we need to change our views, where we need to change our perceptions, our assumptions, and maybe even our misconceptions. Lord, that you would help us to do that. Lord, speak to us tonight, I pray. Speak clearly to us through this central event of the Christian faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin then at the start of our passage. And we're going to think, first of all, about Simon of Cyrene, or Cyrene, (coughs) depending on how you pronounce it. So it says this, As the soldiers led him away, that's Jesus, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, the thing about Simon is we don't really know very much about him. We're not told much. He just sort of appears at this point in the story and then kind of disappears into the background again, largely. And I think it's probably reasonable to assume that he maybe had been in Jerusalem on business because Cyrene is in modern Libya, so he wasn't a Jew, and he didn't live, presumably, therefore, in Jerusalem. But here he finds himself caught up in these momentous events on this Friday uh, during the Passover, Jewish Passover festival. But you can almost imagine him thinking as he's uh, grabbed by these soldiers and asked to carry Jesus' cross, why are you asking me to get involved? I'm not even a Jew. This has got absolutely nothing to do with me. And even more than that, I don't want to look like a criminal. It's criminals that carry crosses. I'm not a criminal. Why are you asking me to do this? This is humiliating. What are people going to think of me because I've become involved? What about you and I? Do we sometimes 
forget or even actively think, well, the crucifixion, that's got nothing to do with me. Or maybe you don't come to church very often. Maybe this is your first time or one of your first times here, and you're thinking, what will people think of me if they see me coming in and coming out at the end? What's this crucifixion got to do with me? Well, as Simon discovered later, it had everything to do with him. Do you relate to that? Secondly, we have the women of Jerusalem. And then we have this slightly strange passage where Jesus goes into uh, a bit of detail about something, and we'll we'll just look at that very briefly. But let's read what the, the Bible says. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? So here we have a sympathetic response of some Jewish women. Poor Jesus, they're thinking. He didn't deserve this. Maybe they admired them as a good man, as a good teacher. But possibly more, we don't really know. But then we get Jesus' strange and in some ways quite shocking response. Because he basically says to them, look, don't, don't worry about me. Worry about yourselves. And in Jewish thinking, he's he's speaking into Jewish thinking here, because children in Jewish culture were a sign of blessing from God. And he's saying, look, actually, you don't want to have children because something is about to happen. Because his strange comments are actually predicting the fall of Jerusalem that was to happen in AD 70. So here, even although Jesus is knowing that he's about to go to the cross, he's thinking about them and their plight, not himself. In effect, he's saying, I don't want your sympathy. I want your repentance. What about us then? Do we just think, do you just think that Jesus' crucifixion was sad? because he was a good teacher, a good man, but maybe not much more. Maybe you're wondering, well, why do I need to repent? Like Jesus said, and we'll look at why that is later on. Do you relate to these women's reaction, perhaps? Then we come to the actual crucifixion itself. Then two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. The first thing I want us to notice here is how understated Luke makes this. He doesn't go into all the details of the crucifixion. He doesn't go into the the horrific details of what that mode of execution involved. It was the worst possible way of executing any human being that's ever been devised. It was horrendous, brutal, just beyond belief. And yet Luke simply says they crucified him. That's all he says. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever watched The Passion by Mel Gibson. It came out quite a long time ago now. I've actually avoided watching it because I'm not normally um, all that sort of emotional in that sense, but what worries me is the sheer brutality of that film because it doesn't hold its punches. It, it, It shows it in all its graphic detail. But normally, I would be quite detached and analytical about things, but that's made me wary of watching it. But here, Luke doesn't go into detail. He just says that the Son of God was crucified. Really understated. Jeremy McQuoid, who was here just a few weeks ago at the anniversary weekend, however, says this, and I thought this was worth Uh, reading in connection with this. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking about the cross of Christ in a detached way. We think through the logic of salvation, we as sinners, uh, logic of salvation, we are sinners, God provided the remedy, and we either accept that remedy, like a doctor's prescription, or we reject it. But that is a very cold way of looking at the cross. It removes from us the passion that flows through the veins of God every time he thinks about the cross. The cross is about the Father giving his beloved Son in the most extraordinary, bloody, offensive, heart-wrenching glorious sacrifice ever offered. These are incredible words. That, to me, brings home something of what's involved in they crucified him. This was a momentous event. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, was hung on a tree and punished for your sin and for my sin, and died the most horrific death so that we might gain forgiveness. 
And that's why Luke picks up on that very concept. In the midst of Jesus' horror and Jesus' pain, he says these incredible words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was a totally amazing thing to say. It was a totally unexpected reaction by the bystanders watching to what was being done to Jesus. That was the last thing they were expecting to hear. And I suspect that it probably made some of them stop making assumptions and listen. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, I think Mark recently played it, Susan Boyle in Britain's Got Talent. She got up and uh, she introduced herself. I'm going to sing a song from um, Les Mis. And uh, she basically was laughed at because everyone assumed, oh, this is going to be rubbish. And then she started and they were all blown away and she got the standing ovation. People make the wrong assumptions all the time. Susan Boyle made people stop and take notice. This is infinitely more. The Son of God says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can imagine the people watching. What did he say? What did he just say? What on earth is he talking about? But notice the soldiers. They initially just carried on. Tells us that at the start. Seemingly oblivious to the enormity of the situation. This is just another crucifixion. Just another criminal like all the others. Another day at the office. They crucified him before they heard this. So what about you and I? Have we heard this story lots of times before at church or elsewhere? We maybe know it was unfair, but we become detached from the gravity and the horror of the situation. It just washes over us. I know the story. I know the theory. I know how this works. I've read it before. But here's the thing. This is not just a story. This is not just some fanciful theory. What Jesus did really matters for you and for me because it can change our very eternity through getting forgiveness for our sins. Do you relate to the reaction, the initial reaction of the soldiers? Detachment, this doesn't affect me, it's just washing over you. Have you become detached and blase about Jesus' death? We can do that even as Christians. <clears throat> we forget the enormity of it all. But then, as we see later down there, some of the soldiers change from disinterest to actual opposition. Maybe they've looked up and seen the sign that's referred to there. <clears throat> Apparently, it was written in three languages. Latin, which was the 
language of government, Greek, which is the language of education, and Hebrew, which is the language of religion. So because of that sign, no one could be left in any doubt of the charge against Jesus. The, cha- the challenge Jesus, therefore, about that, <clears throat> about being the king of the Jews, and to say, go on then, save yourself. So what about us? What do you make of Jesus' kingship? What do you make of Jesus' offer of forgiveness? Do you think that you need it? Or is Jesus just another person who happened to die 2,000 years ago? Do you relate to those soldiers? And then in that same section, we have two other groups, the spectators and the rulers. The spectators are mostly just watching, but not really involved, maybe a bit curious. I wonder what this is all about. What did they say? Not very sure. But probably for a lot of them, they're thinking, why is he saying forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. This isn't my fault. Why do I need forgiveness? What's this got to do with me? Is that how you react to this? Then we have the rulers, the Jewish religious leaders. They should have known better. But notice what they do. They speak about Jesus to each other rather than to Jesus. It's almost like he's not there or doesn't matter. He's just some interesting debate to have. Doesn't matter what he thinks he's doing. Many of them clearly thought that he was a liar or a heretic. They'd made that clear for the three years before this, and they're making it really clear now that's what they think. And they say to him, if you're the son of God, save yourself. But the irony is that by not saving himself, he saves us. He saves them if they're willing to accept that forgiveness. So they don't realize that what they're saying is actually deeply ironic. The whole point here is that he doesn't save himself. He chooses not to save himself so that our forgiveness can be enacted. So, are you maybe like the spectators or the rulers? (coughs) Is Jesus just an interesting topic of debate but not terribly relevant to you? Do you think Jesus like the rulers did, was a liar or maybe just some kind of religious nutter? Do you relate to that? And are you willing to reconsider? And then we come on to the two criminals. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, 
Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we find this is uh, the only time in the the Gospels where we get this uh, second thief changing or criminal changing his um, his plea, as it were. In the other three Gospels, it just tells us that the, the two criminals insulted Jesus. So the first criminal is sarcastic towards Jesus. Go on, do a trick, save yourself. And save us. He was being selfish. He just wanted Jesus, if he was able to, to help him out. And we can be the same. What's in it for me? It's just about me and what I can get. But then we come to the, the, the other criminal, and we get a massive response here. He has a complete change of mind, a complete turnaround in his perspective, because he admits his problem and asks Jesus for his help. It's not his sin, though, that ultimately kept him from God. He realized that his unrepentance was the real issue. And once he realized, he did something about it. Now, the thing is about this criminal, he didn't have time, he didn't have the chance to change his behavior. This wasn't about becoming a good person. Jesus gives him forgiveness with zero strings attached. He didn't say, well, if you're good after this, I'll think about it. It was straight forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's a huge statement because what Jesus is saying is I'm inviting you into a relationship with God through me. That's what Jesus is saying. You're now in a relationship whereby you will join me in paradise because of what I'm doing, the enormity of what he was doing on the cross. What about you? Are you willing like that second criminal, to change your mind in the light of the evidence of the crucifixion? Do you relate to the criminal, the second criminal? And then we come to Jesus' death. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the the sun stopped shining. And the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So we find here this really strange phenomenon where the whole land gets covered in darkness. Now, it's unlikely to be an eclipse of the sun. Sometimes people say, oh, it's just an eclipse of the sun. This was Passover, the time when there would have been a full moon. You don't get eclipses during full moons. The darkness was a sign 
However God caused it, of the spiritual situation being played out. This was a miraculous darkness. And it would have been really, really eerie. People would be thinking, what on earth is going on? What's happening? This is the middle of the day. This shouldn't be. And you can imagine a strange hush (coughs) descended over the crowd. And then we get this detail about the curtain in the temple being torn in two, which you can imagine the attendants in the temple must have seen and probably reported back on later. Can you imagine their reaction? They're terrified at what's about to happen. We're not allowed in that holy of holies. That curtain's to stop people going in there because God's in there. What's about to happen? Because that curtain was a symbol for the Jews of their separation from God's utter holiness. But what was being signified here is that curtain ripping showed that the way to God was now being opened through Jesus' death on the cross. (coughs) Notice also there that Jesus chooses his moment of death. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He chose when it was finished. One of the other Gospels actually tells us that he says in a shout of victory, not defeat, victory, it is finished. And we're also told in another account in one of the other Gospels that the soldiers were surprised at how quickly Jesus died. They weren't weren't expecting him to be dead that quickly. Jesus chose his moment of death. Jesus was completely in control of that situation as God's son. So what about you and I? Do we underestimate (coughs) or forget the significance of what Jesus was doing in the cross? Do we fail to be amazed or amazed anymore by what happened in those six hours 2,000 years ago? Do you relate to that? And then we have the centurion and the followers after Jesus died. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. (coughs) And all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So first of all, the centurion He also, like that second criminal, changed his perspective. Having looked into the eyes of Jesus and seen his total love for him and everybody around about him, despite his suffering, he changed his mind. He admitted that Jesus was righteous, that Jesus rather than being a criminal, as it appeared, was actually totally acceptable 
to God. This was no ordinary man. This was God's son. He changed his perspective. Do you relate to that reaction? And then we have the others in the crowd who were upset. They were disturbed and maybe a bit thoughtful at what they'd seen, what they'd heard, what they'd experienced. Maybe you're like them as you think about this, a bit disturbed, a bit thoughtful. The question is, what will you do about it? Rather than just seeing it as something to be just wondered about. And then finally, we have Jesus' followers. They stayed, we're told there, to the very end. I'm sure they were confused by the enormity of what they'd just seen, by the whole situation. We thought that he was the Messiah. What do we do now? But as we'll see next week, this is not the end. Because three days later, Jesus came back. Do you relate to them? What will you do about Jesus' death now? So in summary then, we've looked at various people's reactions and we asked at the start, which character do you most identify with? Do you identify with Simon of Cyrene? What's this got to do with me? Or with the soldier's initial disinterest? Or are you upset by Jesus' death, like the women of Jerusalem, but don't really see its full significance? Or are you like the rulers, you just want to maybe talk about it, but not much more? Or you're actually quite against Jesus, like some of the rulers were? Or maybe you actually just think the whole thing's bizarre, like the rulers, some of the soldiers, and one of the criminals. And you just think, what's that all about? Or maybe, like his followers, you're confused. But maybe, just maybe, tonight, as you've thought about this, you've been reminded, or maybe even thought for the first time, like that second criminal, like the centurion, And as one of the other Gospels implies, Simon of Cyrene actually changed his mind because we're told that his sons became part of the church, the early church. Maybe like them, you're concluding that Jesus is the Son of God. Are you needing, are you willing to change your perspective to this tonight, like that second criminal? If you haven't already done so, are you willing to admit your sin to God? Do you want your sins forgiven? Because the story of the cross, as that second criminal discovered, is that there is free forgiveness available now for you. No matter what you've done, there is free forgiveness because of Jesus' incredible, momentous, death on that cross with no strings attached. The second criminal, as I said, 
couldn't do anything to change his behavior. He had no time left, and yet he gained forgiveness. And even if you've been a Christian like I have for years, this crucifixion account still gives us a fresh challenge every day. You and I, I know I do, mess up every day, and we still need ongoing forgiveness. Are you willing to ask for forgiveness for the things that we do? Let me finish with one more quote from Jeremy McCoy. Again, same book, The Amazing Cross. He says this at one point, look at the broken, bloody, deformed, naked, ruined body of the spotless Son of God. That's horrific, how horrific your sin and mine is to a white, hot, holy God. That's how ferocious God's righteous anger really is. Don't tone it down. Let the lion roar, because love dwells here. The cross shows both God's God's total holiness and at the same time his complete and utter love for you and for me. He's offering you his incredible, free and limitless grace and he's desperate for you to ask for and to receive his forgiveness just like that second thief on the cross. God wants you to come into a relationship of love with him. We've asked with each person as we've gone through this account the same question. How will you respond? Have you realized that you've been making assumptions about the cross and what it's all about? Are you willing to have an honest appraisal of which character you are really most like in that story? And most importantly, are you willing to change if needed? Maybe you've been thinking a lot about these things tonight as we've talked about them. If you would like prayer, remember there'll be the prayer ministry team available. I'll be around at the end as well if you'd like to chat with me or anybody else that you know. Please don't leave and just say, oh, well, there you go, there's the cross again. It's too big, it's too important, it's too vital. The Son of God died for you. The Son of God gave up everything to show his love for you so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and go to be with God when we die. How will you respond? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this account that Luke has recorded of the crucifixion. Lord, we pray that you would help each of us to honestly assess where we are in that crowd, which person is most like us. Help us to be willing to look again at the cross 
look again at your crucifixion, Jesus, and to be willing to admit that we need your forgiveness. Lord, help us all to reassess where we're at and not to make assumptions, not to forget and not to just treat it like we know the answer and it's just a theory. Lord, help us to be willing to put ourselves into that situation and to apply the challenge that you've given us into our lives. Help us to change and to seek out you and your ways. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.